All right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 94. It's Tuesday night. That means we want to hear from you. So it's going to be myself, Bob Akhairi, J.D. Moore, and any of you who want to join us. And Sirius is probably going to join us as well. So again, Tuesday nights, we love hearing from you. We're going to go ahead and fire this up. Just feel free to hit request. We'd love to hear your thoughts. It's been a Heck of a week of college football. I can already see we have some people joining in. In fact, I just saw my co-host, so I'm going to go ahead. Oops, sent him the wrong one. There we go. There we are. All right. So, J.D., let me know when you're up here, and we'll start letting some folks up and and hearing what they're thinking. Yeah, we are up here. And, uh, you know, first and foremost, uh, one of the things that I have loved after this weekend, are you prepared for Ole Miss to be the most complete team in the SEC West right now? The last remaining undefeated, you're looking at your Ole Miss Rebels. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I, one of the funnier comments that kind of came out of their win this past weekend over Auburn was put Lane in the pine box and, and move him over because I was obviously – reference to that that infamous moment where Tommy's like you know I, I will not leave Oxford except in a pine box and then two days later he was the head coach of Auburn so who knows so far Lane's there and we love him there and we'll see how he does as the season wears on but this has been an exciting week let's see we already have someone up here so let's see here D Mango we'd love to hear from you what's up unmute hey so yeah I'm actually uh Georgia Tech fan. I was just kind of wondering what y'all think about the Georgia Tech program. We fired Jeff Collins uh, three games ago. We're 2-0 since with our interim head coach, Brent Key, and we recently just hired the Alabama second-in-line athletic director. Well, at the very beginning of that, I think it's always important to have a good foundation in the administration. So I think hiring who they got from Alabama was a very positive sign. Um, I think that is going to be important in of itself, and it gives them an opportunity to immediately put their imprint on the program because hiring a head coach is such a – and we've already talked about it a lot with Trev Alberts at Nebraska, but that's a career-making move for any athletic director. So I think getting that in order first was wise. Now, Georgia Tech, we've talked about it before, and I know J.D. and Sirius have thoughts on this, but I always think they have a strong upside because they're in Atlanta. That very nature is going to be huge for any program. Now, obviously Georgia right now is <laughs> there. It's impossible to say they can get any better than they are now. Cause this is great. This for, if you're a Georgia fan, this is like, this is the era they've been wanting forever. But for Georgia tech, there is a bit of work that needs to be done. JD, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think first and foremost, I thought Georgia Tech nailed it with this athletic director hire. Now, granted, I know when it comes to hiring coaches, when it comes to hiring administrations, there's very, very few home run hires. And I think, you know, one of the very few ones that you could even point to would be like a Chris Del Conte at Texas. Uh, this was immediately going to fit. Uh, but I absolutely love everything about J-Bat coming in as the new athletic director to take over the Yellow Jackets program. I mean, this is a guy who has been in Alabama since I believe it's 2017, uh, one of Greg Burns like chief fundraisers and making sure that things for football and basketball were consistently up to date on facilities, had good relations with the donors. And I mean, he also had relations with uh, East Carolina back when he was working back over there before uh, he started working in the Alabama uh, machine. Uh, So he has a lot of familiarity with the region. He had a lot of experience at the power five level. 
And I think especially looking in that type of mentorship that he's had at Alabama, because we talk all the time about the magnificence of Nick Saban and the dynasty that he's run at Alabama. We really don't give enough credit to Greg Byrne for building up Alabama as a fantastic program for donors to be all unified in the same direction to make sure that when the football team needs something, they get what they need. They get the analysts, they get the facilities. And JBAT has been a huge part in making sure that happens. So the fact that Georgia Tech got a guy who uh, not only is from that system and knows the Southeast region that well as well, uh, I have a lot more confidence in him making a hire than I would, uh, you know, Todd Stansbury, who decided, you know, Jeff Collins uh, and getting rid of the triple option, that's going to be the future of Georgia Tech. We've kind of seen what that's looked like right now. And now, especially with the interim being 2-0 and at Georgia Tech, I wouldn't necessarily – uh, you know, say that the interim is going to be the front running guy, uh, to take over that permanent position. But I think at least if you are a fan of the Yellow Jackets, seeing a win over Pitt, uh, seeing wins over your ACC rivals and like, you know, at least putting a competent product on the field right now, you have got to feel really, really good about the way that the, uh, system is at least going since the beginning of the year. How about your thoughts, man? How about, what are you feeling about your team? Yeah. I mean, I think. We're at least headed in the right direction, getting rid of Collins. And I think, you know, Brent Key's done a good job um, as an interim. He actually was under Saban for a while. So, you know, maybe he's in consideration. I've heard uh, the name Bill O'Brien be thrown around for the future. So, you know, we're trying to be optimistic about how bad we've been, uh, you know, over the past three years. But, you know, you know, it's only up from here. So. Well, I pre- appreciate hearing from you, man. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Jake, you've been patient. What's up? We'd love to hear from you. Hey, what's up, guys? How y'all doing today? Great. So I'm a Tennessee fan. I live in Knoxville, and obviously I'm on a mountain right now. And uh, I I can't even believe I'm going to ask this question because at the beginning of the year, you know, 9-3 and three was like a, another good step for the Hypo era, I think is what we were kind of hoping for. and But I have a question about the college football playoff if we were to somehow make it this season. So in this scenario, say we lose to Georgia, we went out, but lose to Georgia. And then, so Georgia's 12-0, and Bama's 11-1, and say Ole Miss lose, they beat Ole Miss, so now it's Bama-Georgia, but then Georgia wins the SEC. What happens with, or I'm sorry, Bama wins the SEC. So then Bama would be 12 and 1 with the SEC championship, Georgia 12 and 1, and then we're 11 and 1. You think Tennessee definitely gets left off of the college football playoff, right? Man, this is like a, a nightmare scenario for, uh, for Tennessee, right? You know, it kind of, uh, goes back to, uh, a few years ago in the Big Ten. Yeah. And uh, we saw something similar happen with, um, you know, the, the Big Ten East, which has just been a, a brutal, brutal division um, for teams to play in because it's been neck and neck with uh, with so many of those teams. And you've seen some, get, some teams get jumped around a little bit. Um, and I think that that's kind of where – it almost feels like that's what's gonna 
it kind of happened in that situation because you got. I mean, you created a nightmare scenario for Tennessee because you know if, if Georgia if Georgia runs the table um, and beats Bama in the championship game, then it's you know it's easy uh, easy setup, especially if you're all playing close. Then Georgia makes it obviously as a thirteen and O team, and then Tennessee slides in there as an eleven and one with a win over. A pretty should be a pretty highly ranked Bama still, even with two losses. Um, but if you're not careful, then you know, yeah, with with Bama pulling the the win over Georgia, now you've got three teams sitting there all with one loss, um, a twelve and one and eleven and uh, a twelve two twelve and ones and an eleven and one. And I think at that point, unless some really really crazy stuff happens, where suddenly three SEC teams. Looks viable. You got a bunch of two loss teams. Um, I think it kind of comes down to who played who the closest, and maybe in that case, the close win over Bama isn't enough, unless it's a close loss to Georgia, and Georgia just gets you know destroyed by Bama or something like that to give you an edge over them. It's it's a tough situation, um, and it just kind of yeah, like I said, it, it makes me think of. Um, you know, back in 2016 when you had Penn State won the Big Ten East, beat Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship game, and then they go to the Rose Bowl, but Ohio State winds up going to the playoffs, and, of course, they get shut out by Clemson. So, um, yeah, I think that, that that's probably the, the worst situation you could think of. <laughs> From eleven to one, Tennessee is yeah, that they wind up sitting at home because of this, and uh, and yeah, you know they have fantastic season. Season normally would be right there in the running for for making the college football playoff um, as a second SEC team in that situation. But then you know the fates just align, and and they have to watch you know Bama and Georgia go back to the playoffs yet again. Yeah. So uh, yeah, other than that, I think that. Um, but you know, if it goes in any other direction, and you all go eleven and one, you got a pretty good shot. But that one's the nightmare. Yeah, I mean, definitely. As the past fifteen years being a Tennessee fan, I think us having a good year, I immediately go to the pessimist side of like, okay, now say we have a good year, are we still going to get left off of the college football playoff? Um, but I guess the best we can hope for is beating Georgia, and even if we lose the SEC championship to say Bama, I still think we would go. Maybe. Yeah, I would say probably the best case scenario for Tennessee right now, obviously you want to win out or at least win as many games as you possibly can. Sure. Um, and then I think the second thing that you would have to cheer for is continued chaos uh, throughout the other Power Five conferences. Yeah. Uh, I think one thing that's in a huge advantage for Tennessee right now is USC falling to Utah. The Pac-12 looks like it's cannibalizing itself once again. Uh, the Big 12, you've got TCU is the last remaining uh, undefeated in that conference. So if you uh, are wanting to look at, you know, getting multiple teams from the SEC in. If you see those two uh, conferences kind of take themselves out of the playoff by crowning a two-loss champion, which, again, like I think right now if you're a Tennessee fan, you really want Texas to keep playing really, really good football and ultimately win the Big 12 because that'll take that team out, uh, leaving an 11-1 and Tennessee open. Uh, and then you're going to need a little bit of chaos in the Big 10 as well. Uh, yeah. So uh, when you've got that, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that an Ohio State or a Michigan is going to be uh, in the college football playoff. Uh, you probably want to see some kind of chaos of, you know, Clemson dropping a game or two, 
uh, giving you a little bit more of a clearing. But I think, you know, worst case scenario, if you go 11 and one uh, and you don't make the playoff, you're going to the Sugar Bowl. Like you're going yeah, to a yeah, great yeah. New Year's Six game, be the first time I think since 2000 uh, that Tennessee is going to be playing in a major bowl game and you'd likely be playing in an awesome matchup against, uh, you know, if we go through the scenario of, you know, Texas winning as a two loss uh, Big 12 champion, your Sugar Bowl is going to be, you know, a fantastic Texas team uh, against a fantastic Tennessee team in supremacy of the greatest orange UT. Uh, I mean, that's a fantastic end-of-game scenario if you don't get into the playoffs as an 11-1 team. Uh, but I would say just right now, you keep doing your business, you keep winning, uh, shoot among the stars, and worst case, you'll land on the moon. Yeah, I agree. I mean, definitely we have to finish out the season strong. Anything could happen there. But the way we're playing now, I don't see us losing to except maybe – I mean, we could definitely lose to Georgia. But the other games, personally, I feel pretty confident in – but then again, that's why I was thinking maybe in 11 and one Tennessee with the strength of schedule that we've played, we'll have beaten five ranked teams and we might be 11 and one. But I still feel like the committee would lean towards a 12 and 0 Clemson or something like that, even though because they wouldn't want to put three, if, especially if Georgia and Bama are already in the playoff, they wouldn't want to put another SEC team in there if there's like a Clemson or. Um, Michigan or Ohio State that's 12-0, and even if our schedule was harder, I guess. But how can you keep someone like them out of it if you're undefeated? Yeah, you know, and Jake, it's kind of, you know, as you said at the beginning of when you were talking to us, you know, at the beginning of the season, nine wins seemed like it would be exceptional. And now it feels like Tennessee's in that position where, as you said, like Georgia at this point seems like a real, the most challenging game. Yeah. But, any game other than that, it would be just as shocking if it happened to what had previously been Alabama's role in the SEC. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. well, how did they lose to that? Now, Tennessee's in that role, where unless it's somebody like Georgia or Alabama, yeah. it would be a surprise. And I, that's got to be – it's both nerve-wracking. I can imagine how stressful that is at the same yeah. time. But at the same time, it's it's a heck of a lot better than it was before. So, Absolutely. It's definitely – an. Uh... Not, not a feeling we're used to, but we'll definitely take it, especially after, you know, the crap we've been through the past 15 years. So <laughs> I appreciate it, boys. Thank you, guys. Go Vols. Yeah, thank you, Jake. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. And Wes, I just want to say to all of you out there, we're going to try and get to whoever we can. We're going to do it. So be patient. We promise. We generally let in like one or two at a time and then just kind of cycle through because we like to let everyone get their chance to speak. Hey, Noah, you've been patient. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, guys. Yeah, definitely appreciate it. Uh, so I'm an Illini fan. Um, I've kind of been – we've all been through it like the last 10, 11 years. It's the first time we've been ranked since 2011. Um, would love to hear your guys' thoughts on the program, what Bielema's doing here. Uh, Ryan Walters just absolutely turned around this defense that under Lovey Smith was in, you know, the bottom third in the in the country in defense, defensive efficiency, and now it's arguably the best defense in the country. Um, and maybe if you could talk a little bit about Chase Brown, Heisman hype, and why he deserves more and all that. Uh, ILL, thanks for having me on. I-L-L-I-N-I. Welcome to October. Brett Bielema is getting the Illini up and rocking again. I have loved this progression of Illinois playing fantastic football and now looking like the uh, team to beat in the Big Ten West. Again, another sentence I never expected to admit 
all season long. Uh, but, uh, you know, we had uh, Barry Lunny Jr., uh, the offensive coordinator uh, for uh, Illinois, on the show not too terribly long ago. And we had a fantastic interview with him about all the things that have happened with the program and what's changed for this year, uh, especially with their quarterback that they got out of the transfer portal from Syracuse. Tommy DeVito's had a fantastic year uh, at quarterback. And you mentioned the defense that has been so stout for this entire season. I mean, you know, we all want to laugh at, you know, the idea of these games of like these nine, six games against Iowa or uh, these other games that end up, uh, you know, becoming, uh, you know, that typical big 10 uh, slugfest for lack of better terms. But you start looking at the way that this defense is held up. You hold Minnesota to 14 points. You held Iowa to six points, Wisconsin, 10 points, Virginia, three points, Wyoming, six points, shut out Chattanooga. Like, I mean, right now that defense has been so incredible for Illinois and the fact that, you know, you only have a handful of teams that can really, truly challenge you all at this point. Again, I can't believe I've said that, but, uh, you know, Michigan is the last ranked team on your regular season schedule. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Illinois gets 10 wins just by default, which I think is absolutely delightful. And I'm so excited because, again, like, you know, Barry Lunny Jr., he came up from UTSA. He had that experience with Brett Bielema when he was at Arkansas. Uh, he's made a fascinating team that actually is interesting to watch, uh, that is a lot of fun to watch. Uh, and the fact that Illinois is most likely going to be your team in the Big Ten West this year, I cannot imagine a more successful year for the Illini than what they've been doing right now. So how are you feeling about all of this? I mean, I know as a fan, you got to be ecstatic about, you know, AP ranked for the first time in like a decade, winning football uh, at home in Champaign. How are you feeling about this year so far? I'm not going to lie. Like, this is like the typical Illinois fan in me. But, like, I am so annoyed that we are not 7-0 right now because of that Indiana game <laughs> where Brian Hightower was absolutely hosed. I mean, that's just like it, – it's it's absolutely incredible, um, you know – Vegas had us at like over, over and a half, like four and a half wins, I think. And so, you know, I was thinking, you know, six would be ideal. You know, if Bielema can get to a bowl game in a second year, uh, really start turning the program around. Now it really feels like we're playing with house money. Uh, you got Nebraska on the road after a bye, Michigan State at home, Purdue at home, uh, got to travel to the big house and then at Northwestern, like 10 games is there. But I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I mean, it's, I honestly think we would be double-digit dogs on the road at the big house. But, like, crazier things have happened, and this defense is just absolutely insane. I think a big thing to mention is their red zone efficiency has been terrible this year. I think they're converting only, like, 33% of their trips. Um, and so that's got to – in terms of touchdowns, and that's got to improve. Um, Josh McCray coming back after an injury, big-bodied back had a really good freshman year. Like, I think they could really put up some points. And people have to start talking about Chase Brown, man. Like, I mean, he's underrated Heisman pick. And, I mean, the way he keeps playing, he had 190 per all total yards against Minnesota, which has a top de- top half defense in the Big Ten. Uh, I mean, Bielema has got this thing humming. Like, I sign, extend Walters, throw money at him, keep him for at least another year before he takes a bigger, better gig. Yeah, it's definitely an exciting time. I mean, I think other than Michigan, Purdue is probably the biggest question. And, and of course, you've got them at home. So that's beneficial. That game at Michigan, man, uh, if it were at 
Illinois, I'd be even more excited for you guys because it would seem like if you could make it to that undefeated, and, and Michigan certainly seems like they'd be capable of it, that would be a, an, a, an enticing game day. Tell, um, yeah, tell me a 10-1 and Illinois at an undefeated Michigan doesn't get game day because Illinois has never had game day. They were one of the, I think, the few yeah. Kansas, you know, Kansas and Illinois both had the streak of uh, longest um, without being ranked, and they both broke that this year. Kansas broke their game day streak. I really think if Illinois has one loss going into Ann Arbor, game day is going to be there. Um, and I've already – my brother and I have already agreed, like, if Illinois ends up in the Big Ten Championship, like, we're going, no questions asked, and, you know, taking our, surprising our dad for Christmas because, like, that's what this means for, like, fans. Like, we've waited so long to be relevant, and the fact that it's, like, at this level is just insane. I love it. You and know, I can totally imagine – Honestly, though, I do just want to interrupt into this really, really quickly. Uh, I know that you've talked about the idea of Michigan and Illinois for game day. Hey, let's talk about November 12th, all right? You know, we have Ohio State and Michigan. That's typically the biggest game in the Big Ten every year, no matter what the year is. Uh, but you know what? Illinois-Purdue is going to be the second most important game in the Big Ten this year. And uh, that's happening on November 12th. And you don't have a whole lot of competition uh, for that specific day for game day. I mean, there's maybe Alabama Ole Miss. There's maybe DCU at Texas. But you don't have that many possibilities of, you know, other programs that are going to be hosting any kind of consequential games for uh, conference matchups. I mean, if you want Illinois to break the streak and get their first ever game day – I mean, November 12th, stranger things have happened, like an undefeated Kansas hosting game day this year. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's a great point. And, I mean, I think, you know, if, if Illinois wins that, like, they're they're obviously a lock for Indy. But, I mean, just what Bielum has done in, sh- in such a short turnaround, I mean, it's just insane to watch. Um, so, really appreciate you guys having me on uh, ILL. You know, I'm just imagining them hosting game day and demanding to put it on the Moro plots, which I think would be an inside joke to a lot of people. Um, only a handful of people would get how spectacularly bad that would be. But um, that would be I, – I, I, it's a beautiful campus. I hope, they, I hope that happens, if not this season, in the future. Thanks so much for joining us, Noah. Hey, John, what's up? You've been patient. It's good to hear from you again. Oh. Mike Monster. Oh, hey. <laughs> All right, we'll see if we can get John up here in a moment. Let's move on here. I also see a couple of people. Um, let's see here. Tom. Oh, good. The sound effect worked. I hear it worked on it. That's nice. Hey, Tom, our, uh, we'd love to hear from you. What's up? Oh, is Mike Monster getting everybody today? I don't know. The unmute is in the bottom left, and I know... Uh, and who gosh knows, with Twitter, they always seem to, to move it around. As we get that moving, let me see here. We'll go ahead and we'll let everyone up. Hey, Jake, you're going to be up next. So if you can, we'd love to hear from you, Jake. Go ahead and unmute. Sometimes also, if, if you get up here and for some reason it's not working, just reset the app. And sometimes it'll actually put you right back into the queue. Oh, Jake, I see you're unmuted. We'd love to hear from you. And then we'll get to you, Tom, I promise. We're going with who unmuted first. What's up, Jake? Well, it says you're unmuted. <laughs> hey, Tom, why don't we try you now? Let's see here. Yeah. All right. Can you hear me it? now? Oh, whoops. That was wrong button. Yeah, I can, Tom. What's up? Excellent. Excellent. So, hey, I'm a long-suffering Husker fan. Um, it was great to see the Alabama-Tennessee game. Uh, tons of fun to watch. Um, it's also great to see a coach come and turn around a, 
a program that's kind of been down for a while. It gave me some hope. Um, so my question to you guys is, what does Josh Heupel's turnaround of Tennessee say about the current coaching search? Is it just that they got lucky and got a good UCF coach, or um, is, is there any larger uh, things you can take from the quick turnaround? So we kind of talked about this uh, last week uh, when we had Joe Reichstra from uh, The Athletic on here and talking about how, uh, you know, it was kind of an interesting coaching search for Tennessee because not only did they bring in a new coach, but they also brought in an athletic director right before that, and they brought in Danny White from UCF. So he was someone who was familiar with uh, with what Heifel was capable of. And as uh, Joe said, you know, someone told him, Hey, you, you like the guy enough to hire him at UCF, so why would you not consider hiring him away now, even though, you know, Danny was a little bit, uh, you know, cautious about doing it because, you know, he didn't have, you know, bad feelings about, about UCF. Um, he didn't harbor any ill will towards them. But uh, it was a case where he was intimately familiar with Josh Apple and what he was capable of, and the same things that drew drew him to the to the guy when he was interviewing for UCF, and the same things that drew him to to the program when he was uh, considering someone to hire at Tennessee. So I think that uh, that aspect is kind of interesting because a lot of times we'll see like you know schools go out and they hire recruiting firms and things like that to run these coaching searches or a lot of uh, attempts to do kind of like retreads and things like that. So I think that that's probably the most interesting part is that the person who was overseeing the search was also the person who was most familiar with one of the candidates. Because I, I think when, when we talk about it from a fan perspective, a lot of times we think about it as, you know, this person would be exciting as a hire, or this would be interesting as a hire. Um, but we don't know any of them personally. And uh, it's a small coaching world out there, but it's also very cliquish in terms of who you can interact with. Um, so you don't always get exposed to some of these candidates until it's actually time to go out and make a make a hire. Uh, so I think that maybe that would be the most interesting aspect of it, um, that maybe that's what allowed Danny White to see something there that, if we're perfectly honest, a lot of fans, you know, even some UCF and Tennessee fans, didn't see at the time, you know, that he wasn't the top of their charts on the coaching search. So that may have played a role in it. Um, I don't know how much you can replicate that and you can take it somewhere else and and make it work, but it is something to consider the fact that, um, you know, in, at the end of the day, the person making the decision has to be comfortable with who they're hiring and feel confident that they're making the right choice. It especially helps if you have a track record of someone who is, done that before and has had success in hiring coaches because, you know, some athletic directors may be at a school where they've never had to do that before. They've never had um, to hire a football coach to take over an already successful program or to find somebody to rebuild a program. And I think the other thing, too, is, you know, at Tennessee, this is not the only time this model has worked. I mean, look over at Kansas State, for example. Uh, they had uh, Gene Taylor, who was at North Dakota State for a very, very long time. And when Bill Snyder finally decided to fully retire and do the full retirement where he wasn't going to come back, he wasn't going to wait for a Ron Prince redo. He was done, ready to finally hang it up. 
you know, Gene Taylor kind of shocked a lot of people at Kansas State and got a lot of heat for hiring uh, Chris Kleiman, who was his former employee at North Dakota State. And a lot of people were like, oh, man, he just hired his buddy. I can't believe that he would do that. Why would they hire, like, this small potatoes guy who came out of the FCS levels? Well, now Kansas State has a winning record against Oklahoma since he's been hired. They've consistently been in the AP Top 25. They're consistently in the top half of the Big 12, and I don't think there's anybody at Kansas State who's upset with that Chris Kleiman hire anymore. So we've seen kind of how that model works because, again, just like how Sears said it, just how our guest uh, Joe Breckrode said last week, when an athletic director is able to see a guy's body of work and he's able to do that on a day-to-day basis, he's going to feel incredibly comfortable about hiring that guy to bring in, uh, you know, the culture that they want because they know that there's not going to be any surprises with it. Now, granted, on the flip side, there have been some disasters from that as well. I mean, there's a reason that, you know, Arizona State is having to try to find a new head coach right now. And Ray Anderson still, I think to this day, is not sure if he's even going to be involved in the coaching search yet. Still somehow is getting a paycheck from Arizona State. I don't quite understand that either. Uh, but I think when it comes down to athletic directors having to try to hire somebody that they want to know, uh, it's going to be a lot easier to do that when they know that they have results with a previous form. And they just want to repeat it again, but at scale. Absolutely. You know, one thing that struck me was uh, I I just was curious. I went back and looked at the hiring grades from that coaching year. And they, um, you know, Athlon tends to do, I think, at least the more widely read um, coaching grades, uh, you know, in their preseason mag. They gave him a B plus uh, when they were hiring him. And then I was looking at Brian Harson got an A. (laughs) <laughs> along with Sark and uh, Gus Malzahn and Clark Lee and, and Lance Leipold. So there were, some, there were some good marks there, but it was funny that Harrison got the A and uh, they did not quite break into that zone. So, I mean, again, we know they do that. They know that you're, you're doing some guesses there. I think my favorite grade they ever gave was, um, oh, my gosh, what was his name? Oh, the Notre Dame, Kansas guy. You guys, help me here. You know him. Charlie Weiss. About. Charlie Weiss, they gave him an F when the Kansas hired him, and boy, were they right. <laughs> Although definitely not for his pocketbook, that's for sure. Oh, my goodness. Um, hey, once again, I just want Notre Dame to know I will be fired for just half of what they paid Charlie Weiss. I am here to save some money in South Bend, Indiana. You know, I don't blame Notre Dame. I actually just credit Charlie Weiss's agent, who has got to be a legend among every agent out there. That's all I got to say about that. Hey, Tom, thanks for joining us. It was great hearing from you, man. So, John, were you able to, to – we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to unmute. No, no not quite yet. Still getting there. <laughs> A lot of people have been hit by the mic monster today. I'm not sure what's going on there. But, you know, it was funny to say this. One thing we always see at our CFB is whenever somebody has already identified that um, – is, uh, I guess, seven of the top most successful posts on uh, RCFB have all been, I mean, historically, have all been teams beating Alabama, which is, which is kind of a striking thing. Um, by the way, and as we go ahead, and we're going to continue, obviously, covering, I just want to do a quick station ID. This is RCFB Talk 94. 
something. <laughs> 94, we always love hearing from you. And if you want to join the conversation, we always love hearing from you. Just hit request. We'll get you up here, and you'll be able to unmute, hopefully. And we'd love to hear from your thoughts. You know, JD and, and Sirius, what do you guys, what games are really striking you heading into this weekend? I mean, for me, again, no bias here, but I think one of the big ones that's going to really determine uh, who's remaining in the Big 12 race is going to be happening in Fort Worth when Kansas State and uh, TCU go ahead and square off against one another. Uh, Kansas State, obviously undefeated in Big 12 play right now. They've got the one loss to Tulane, which now is looking better and better as the green wave uh, continues to roll through. Uh, You know, a couple bowl projections had come out this week putting them in the Cotton Bowl against a Georgia or a Tennessee, which I would absolutely love to see them as the G5 representative this year. Uh, However, I think it's really, really important for this game where we get to see, you know, Sonny Dykes historically uh, was always good at getting wins in the early season, but then would fall apart in the back half of the season, especially when he was playing bigger and better opponents. So I want to see if that streak is going to continue or if he's changed that corner and he's got the talent to make sure that he actually does continue to win at a high level at TCU. And then, of course, I think the other one that's also going to be fascinating is, you know, again, Statements that I did not expect to have at the start of the year. UCLA is now the last possible savior, most likely, for the Pac-12. The last remaining undefeated team, and especially with Utah taking care of business against USC. USC looking a little bit more mortal uh, with Lincoln Riley out there on the West Coast. Uh, I think it really comes down to, you know, can Chip Kelly beat his former team uh, and kind of show the guy that he was at Oregon and win in Oregon, uh, but this time for the Bruins. I think it's going to be a fascinating game to see how they end up going forward for the remaining part of this season. Because, uh, again, UCLA right now, the last remaining undefeated in the Pac-12, absolutely fascinated by that. For me, I'm looking at a couple of interesting games. Obviously, Oregon-UCLA, I think, is going to be really, really interesting to watch, we saw um, what Oregon was able to do against uh, the rest of their competition so far this season, but they've still got that really bad loss to Georgia um, still kind of looming over their heads because that was the, the major team that they've played this year. UCLA is the next test. UCLA at this point has actually proven themselves. You know, this isn't a fluke season. They look very, very good, um, even if they don't have any fans in the stands to see that. But for those of us who have seen them on TV, they do look good. Um, so can UCLA take care of business and move on undefeated? Or can Oregon prove that, um, you know, they just kind of got outmatched and outclassed in the first game of the year and they've improved a lot since then? The Bo Nix is feeling a lot more comfortable um, under center. The other one would be LSU versus Ole Miss because Ole Miss currently undefeated. Um, Lane Kiffin's got them in the top 10. They're actually the underdogs against LSU. Um, LSU is favored by a point and a half. Obviously, it's a home game in Baton Rouge. So, you know, there's some Death Valley juju going on there. But that's an interesting one to me to see if um, this Ole Miss team can go in and handle playing in a hostile environment um, to take them on and see how they do. Because, you know, looking through the rest of the season when it comes to the SEC West – um, Ole Miss right now kind of looks like the best chance at taking down Alabama. You know, angry Bama is kind of a thing. They're favored by 20-something points over Mississippi State. Um, and uh, Ole Miss is actually going to get them at home this year. So 
if they can make it through kind of this first really big road test for them, um, that could be crucial for their season. You know, hang into this weekend, I want to say my the games that also have my attention, uh, Syracuse at Clemson. I think that's going to be a really interesting one. I think we're going to see how legit the Qs are. We're going to, you know, Orange Nation, we'll see how they do. Um, Clemson's looking really strong. It's going to be a good one. It's at Clemson, so I'm going to give them the edge for sure in that game. But Syracuse has been the big surprise uh, in addition to TU and obviously Kansas and all of that. But I, I'm looking forward to seeing how they shake down. I'm also looking forward to seeing how Texas does at Oklahoma State because both those teams, Texas seems to be, you know, ascendant. They had the, I mean, that Iowa State game. I mean, Iowa State, they are this year's Nebraska in a lot of ways, as people seem to have adopted when they when they talk about it. But I want to see how Oklahoma State responds to that tough loss because that was a heck of a game. I, I feel bad for the TCU-Oklahoma State game because Tennessee and Alabama was happening at the same time. You know, I mean, we had three amazing games. I mean, there were more than three amazing games. I mean, but the three that stick out the most this past weekend were TCU's overtime win over Oklahoma State, you know, that incredible Tennessee-Alabama game. And then the super late-night uh, late game where USC and Utah just slugged it out. If USC finds defense, they're going to be terrifying. But, you know, for those who missed it, that game was seemed like it was going to be last possession wins. And then Utah, you know, give them credit. They, they had the opportunity to go for two. They went for it and took that one-point lead and held on in those final seconds and, and held off the truck. That was one of those games where I loved watching the reactions of the players afterwards because both quarterbacks were crying at the end of that game because that was they left it all on the field. That was that was some incredible incredible football all around the country. Um, to put it on the other side, I think two games that I'm going to be watching for myself as well because I think it's one of those things of uh, I'm watching it for the opposite of incredible football. I'm watching it for. Uh, you know, the idea of a stoppable object against a movable force. Both are in the 3 p.m. Eastern slot. Uh, one is rightfully banished to the Pac-12 network, which is going to be Arizona State at Stanford. Uh, I think, again, maybe the funniest result of this past weekend was Stanford getting its first FBS win in, I think, like a year against uh, Notre Dame, which has just been struggling so hard this year. Uh, they're going to be hosting Arizona State on the farm. I'm you know, uh, morbidly curious to see how that game goes. And then Colorado State, again, another team that struggled a lot, hosting another team that has struggled a lot this year, and that's the University of Hawaii Rainbow Warriors. Uh, Hawaii getting their first win uh, against FBS competition by beating Nevada uh, this last week. And, uh, you know, they head up this uh, week to Fort Collins, and I think that's going to be another great game for all the wrong reasons. And I'm going to be really, really intrigued in how both of those games end up. You know, another topic that, that kind of is interesting now, because now all G5 teams have got one loss. It just ended. And even, even James Madison, who were the fun kind of Cinderella story, because they had no, uh, I mean, barring some, you know, and I'm going to call it miraculous NCAA appeal, which they will plan to file, they are uh, unable to play any postseason games, including the Sun Belt uh, championship game, which they are in contention for, let alone a bowl game. But all now have one loss. So it's a complete open question of who's going to be getting for, I believe the Cotton Bowl is going to have the G5 uh, access bid. So 
which teams seem to be in the in the in the lead for that, and which teams seem to have the most realistic opportunity to win out for the rest of the schedule because they need to be the highest ranked G five program. What do you guys think? Well, one of those one loss G five teams is a team that just put up seventy on Temple, uh, UCF, very quietly becoming a five and one program on the year. You know, they had a loss to Louisville in week two, not exactly the best uh, loss and not the best uh, Louisville team that we've seen so far under Scott Satterfield. But now you've got games against Cincinnati, which I think will probably be a ranked game for both of those. And then on November 12th, you know, if game day isn't going to Illinois-Purdue, they might be looking at going to UCF and Tulane, depending on if they're still the two teams that are overall uh, at one loss heading into November. Uh, that'll be a really dramatic game for uh, the G5 in trying to figure out who gets that Cotton Bowl or the uh, uh, Cotton Bowl bid. Yes, that's right. Uh, that's the uh, uh, bowl that this year gets the last pick and therefore will by default have to have the G5 team. Um, so I think between those games, I think those are going to be the interesting ones. And certainly we don't want to miss out on the fact that Cincy and Coastal also have one losses, so they're also in the mix. So lots of football that we played. We'll see how those G5 teams stack up. You know, we let up someone else, and we always, again, if you want to join us, we'd love to hear from you. Dano, go for insight. We'd love to hear from you. What's up? Yeah, I just wanted to check in with you guys again. The uh, I'm still confused about these SEC rankings. You have Old Miss at 7. Their second best win right now is their 10-point win, 10 win at home over Auburn. That's their second best win out of their seven wins that they have this year. Then you have a Purdue, or actually you have a Syracuse who's unbeaten, and they, they can't get in the top ten. Their second best win is either beating Purdue or NC State, both teams who should be ranked. How how does Old Miss get this by that they should be like the sixth or seventh best team in the nation right now when their second best win is Auburn at home? That That confuses me. The other piece is if you look at Kentucky and Purdue's resume, they're largely identical. Kentucky has been ranked every week of the year so far, and Purdue can't scratch the top 25 yet, and they have the same record. One thing I always say when we get looking midseason uh, at, at ranking situations, particularly, for example, I'm going to start in reverse for you, but that Kentucky um, – uh, Purdue question, you know, we, we see those teams. I think it helps that Kentucky came into the season with a little bit more momentum. And uh, whether that's coming because they're SEC, that's obviously a whole other question. They had a couple of early wins that seemed more spectacular than they were. Um, that, again, the early season happens with everyone there. Um, so I think that's going in their direction. But, of course, you know, these things hopefully work themselves out if the teams keep winning. Uh, that certainly goes in their direction. Keep winning as the season goes on and and, and things work out. But that isn't always necessarily <laughs> the most positive um, the most positive way to look at it. You know, it isn't the most optimistic way to look at it. Guys, did you want to chime in on that? Because there were some good questions there, especially the classic, is the SEC being overranked? I think a lot of that has to do with general poll inertia, and it has to do more of the fact of who's been able to prove that they've been able to put more on the table recently. Because uh, if you look at Kentucky, I mean, uh, for the last couple of uh, years, we've had Kentucky actually show themselves as a very competent football team. 
And I think that's one of the reasons that Kentucky gets the nod as opposed to, you know, say a Purdue, because we've seen things happen where Purdue will finally scrap their way to getting bowl eligible and they'll get blown out by Auburn, uh, for instance. Whereas Kentucky, you know, over the years, they've been able to show that they've been a very good football team. Uh, they've been able to go up against, you know, uh, essentially the non-Georgias of the SEC East and for the last three or four years shown that they can actually win games uh, under uh, Mark Stoops. And that's why he's consistently been uh, named in all of these potential openings. But you've got two Citrus Bowl wins. Uh, you've got a Gator Bowl win. I mean, I think they've got, uh, yeah, it's four consecutive bowl wins at this point. And several, uh, 10 win seasons, which right now Purdue can't say the same, uh, for both of those stats. So I think if no, we continue but, to see, oh, go on, yeah, go on. Purdue, the Big 10 West is never going to get a top 25 win because the Big 10 West doesn't get ranked. So, I mean, it's, it's just not going to, you know, if you're never going to rank a Big 10 team in the top 25, it's hard to get a top 25 win where the SEC comes into the season with, at this point, I think at week six of the year, 12 of the 14, 12 of the 14 SEC teams had been getting votes as a ranked team. They maybe weren't in the top 25, but 12 of the 14 at week six had gotten votes. So that's odd. But then the other thing, as you mentioned, as far as the past history from the previous years playing in, Purdue played Tennessee in a bowl game last year. The game largely resembled what we just saw last week with Alabama and, 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 and Tennessee. And you can argue like, oh, well, Tennessee should have won that game or not. Same thing, Alabama could have won this game, Tennessee won. But why is that discarded? Or why is the Penn State thrashing of Auburn discarded? And now Penn State looks like they're a 15th ranked team. And you have, again, a, a old Miss who's played nobody. And their second best win is Auburn. 10 point win at home, which is not impressive this year. So there's a lot of mental gymnastics that really take place to say, oh, well, no, Kentucky's historically been good and Purdue has been bad. Purdue lost to Auburn. That was like in 2018. Since then, like I said, let, let's take last year into consideration with Tennessee. It, it's just I feel like I'm going crazy just looking at these polls every week. And then I'm looking through the SEC, you know, trying to be objective, looking at these wins and, oh, well, they played Alabama or they will play Alabama. And now the talk this week is, oh, well, Tennessee's got an easy ride to the playoff because if they lose to Georgia, that's that's all that can happen to them. And with one loss, they'll be in. It's like you've got TCU unbeaten right now. How You know, it's just that I, I it's like these are foregone conclusions that these SEC teams are so dominant. And sure, Georgia was dominant. They pushed Michigan off the field. But Michigan sounds, sounds like an afterthought at this point that, oh, well, if they're going to lose to Ohio State, they're toast. Well, well I, how about giving them some credit for totally dominating a Penn State team that's actually pretty good? Well, I mean, Purdue still also lost that game to Penn State this year, and I think that's one of the reasons that, again, these SEC teams get the benefit of the doubt where Purdue doesn't. I mean, if we're looking you know, just at the recent body of work, uh, we're looking at examples of Purdue of last year, 9-4, and four, uh, when they go up against ranked opponents, uh, they lose by two scores to Notre Dame. Uh, they lose by a lot to Ohio State. When they're finally ranked, uh, they lose that game immediately to Wisconsin by almost three scores as well. Uh, Minnesota, uh, in an unranked matchup, not able to pull that off. Whereas if you look at last year's, uh, Ole Miss team, uh, they end up going 10 and three. 
And their losses are to teams like, you know, number one, Alabama or number seven, Baylor. Uh, and when they have their games where they're going against uh, any other ranked opponents or just any opponents in general, they're taking care of business. And I mean, same thing with Kentucky. In the last five years, you have multiple 10 win seasons. Again, something Purdue doesn't have. We're not talking about, you know, does Purdue have ranked wins? Does Purdue get the opportunity to have ranked wins? We're just talking about the ability of can Purdue win 10 games in a season that's yet to be shown so so far in recent history or even really, you know, any history since Drew Brees was quarterback. No, and that's one of you, the reasons why Purdue doesn't get the benefit of the doubt right now. Now, if you you're looking to at win a 10 out, game, if you continue to win out and you beat your Illinois, you continue to win the games that you need to win. And, you know, you know, don't lose to Syracuse when you have the opportunity to beat Syracuse. You actually put away those games, make sure AOC is healthy. You get the opportunity to move up in those polls. Uh, but otherwise, if you're going to be looking at, hey, these two teams currently have semi-equal resumes for right now, the team that's got the longer benefit of the doubt is going to be the one who gets that benefit in the polls. But a team that plays 10 Power 5 teams is usually going to have a chance at one more loss than a team that plays 8 or 9 Power 5 teams in a year. And if you look at the Big Ten average, the Big Ten in this year, the average is that the Big Ten is playing 10 Power 5 teams. Each team is playing an average of 10 teams. The SEC plays an average of 9 Power 5 games a year. They all play, you know, 8-game conference versus a 9. SEC fans will say, oh, yeah, but we all have a rivalry game against a Power 5 team. But so does the Big Ten. Last year, I think it was the same thing, a one-game difference on Power 5 teams. So, yes, you are going to have an average half of a loss more in the Big Ten just because of a nine-game conference. You can't have every team averaging ten or averaging an uh, eight-and-four season. They're going to average a seven-and-five or a seven-and-a-half game, uh, seven-and-a-half win schedule just because of the conference schedule causing an additional half loss across all teams. This seems to be forgotten. Everybody talks about schedule toughness. Well, all SEC teams are going to look a lot better when they're going 10-2 and two because they have four games against the Sisters of the Poor versus three in the Big Ten. This seems to be very well forgotten by AP voters across the line because you look at the – you just look at the way that the schedules actually look at it instead of like, oh, well, who did the – you know, how many wins do they have? Who did they actually beat? And if you're not going to rank any Big Ten teams in the top 25, especially in the Big Ten West, they're not going to get those impressive, oh, well, Purdue, well, Purdue's nothing. Oh, Iowa, well, Iowa's nothing. Oh, Minnesota, well, they weren't ranked. They're nothing. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy when you continue to do that. All right, so you mentioned the number of teams from each conference that currently are receiving votes or ranked in the AP poll. And um, I went through and I counted, and right now there are seven Big Ten teams and nine SEC teams. And that includes Minnesota receiving one vote, one point, which is literally someone put them as the 25th team. And Arkansas also receiving one point as the 25th team on a single ballot. So looking at that right now, there's seven and nine. Which two Big Ten teams do you think deserve to be receiving votes that currently aren't? Wisconsin, who fired their coach. Northwestern is one in five. Iowa, who can't find a touchdown to save their life when it comes to offense. Um, Rutgers, who is currently 0-3 in conference play. Um, Indiana, who's 1-3. Michigan State, who uh, is <laughs> looking like a clown right now for giving Mel Tucker that massive contract. I mean, we can talk about, you know, the number of conference games, but at the end of the day, the voters aren't 
that biased that they can't see past it and, and uh, you know, entertain no. quality on the field. And if you want to talk about um, Purdue versus Kentucky as a straight-up comparison, um, honestly, probably the big difference between those two because they've both got a couple losses that were pretty close. Um, the big difference for me is if I'm gauging those and comparing how they've played and what they've done, um, you know, Purdue has a loss to Syracuse who's undefeated. Kentucky has a loss to Ole Miss, who is undefeated. They have a loss to South Carolina. Purdue has a loss to Penn State, who has one loss. Um, Penn State is a better team than, than South Carolina, without a doubt. Um, the big difference, Aiden O'Connell threw for 300 yards in one of those losses and 400 yards in the other one. It's 300 and change, 400 and change. Kentucky had Will Levis for the Ole Miss game, and they played him close. They did not have Will Levis for the South Carolina game. I think that most voters look at that and they say, if Will Levis is healthy, if he's playing against South Carolina, they probably win that game because Will Levis is a huge difference maker. Just like if Aiden O'Connell had missed a game against Syracuse, then maybe they would get a little bit more of a, a benefit of the doubt. And at the same time, we're talking about Purdue being literally 10 points. If 10 voters have placed them 25th, they would be ranked right now. That's how far behind they are compared to Tulane. So I think that we're kind of making mountains out of molehills here when realistically the difference between uh, Purdue and a Kentucky in terms of, you know, one's ranked and one's not ranked isn't really that big um, because Kentucky has a proven quarterback just like Purdue does, but they missed him for a game and it cost them one. And we look at Texas, Texas is getting the benefit of the doubt too right now with Quinn Ewers uh, missing time and them losing games. And voters are looking at it and saying, you know, if uh, if he's in there the whole game against Bama, maybe they win. So I think that it's a little unfair to the AP voters to say that um, they're just buying into this whole thing about, you know, conference reputation and things like that when it, it just doesn't match up, in, in my opinion, because it's not like they're unable to, uh, to do the math and see. And it's not like that extra P5 – scheduled game really makes that big of a difference when you've got, you know, Nebraska is the punching bag for the big 10 the past few years. Um, Rutgers historically playing the same role on the, the big 10 East. And then, you know, <laughs> if we want to throw into it, the fact that a big 10 West team can't get ranked because none of the other big 10 West teams get ranked when you have Iowa, Wisconsin routinely getting up there and ranked quite highly in the, in the top 25. Um, even teams like Northwestern making it into uh, the Big Ten championship game. Um, and not, not only that, but then, of course, Minnesota's had some good seasons, and uh, Illinois currently is, is on a tear. So I don't think that that's really the, the best reason to explain that, especially when the SEC East over the past 10 years has had quite a few down moments where there's really only been a couple of good rank-worthy teams that were even available as options um, if you're talking about, you know, why Kentucky gets the benefit of the doubt. So I don't really think it holds water when you look at the actual resumes of these teams and the specific circumstances of the games which voters are going to pay attention to. Do you think Kentucky and Purdue's resumes are similar, or do you think Kentucky's is better, like significantly better? 
I mean, if I have to look at the losses, I would have to say that probably Kentucky is slightly better because, again, if you have Will Levis in that game against South Carolina, I don't think it necessarily goes that same way as well. And, again, if we're going to look at this simple fact of what have these two teams done historically, uh, I would give that slight advantage to Kentucky as of right now. Now, again, Purdue keeps on winning. Purdue does the business that they need to take care of. I guarantee you Purdue is going to get ranked up there as well. But for right now, uh, I'd have to give that edge to Kentucky. Hey, okay. you know, this was a this was a good conversation and Dano, we really appreciate it. You know, I mean, I know a lot of people feel that way. And it does seem that way, especially early on in the season. I mean, you have to acknowledge the fact that Kentucky beating Florida at Florida seemed a lot more significant than it was at the time. Um and yeah, I agree. You know, Youngstown State, Miami, Ohio, Northern Illinois aren't that impressive. Beating Mississippi State seemed well, but again, they're the same boat. If <laughs> they can win out, they'll have wins at you know a lot of major teams as well. So between those two teams, and I know I feel you. I mean, and I respect the fact you probably arbitrarily picked Purdue just as a good example of a Big Ten West team um, in that position of a similar record. I think we'll see how it goes, and we'll see how how they cut through uh, the rest of their season. Although, again, I look at the Big Ten, I got to say, though, I look at the Big Ten East and I see a lot of respect from the pollsters, especially with, you know, obviously Ohio State 2, Michigan 4, uh, Penn State 16. Maryland seemed like they had a real chance, and then we'll see. Of course, they've got some uh, attrition going on there. But thanks for joining us. We appreciate that. Hey, uh, Sports Remote, what's up? We'd love to hear from you. Hey, thanks for having me on. Um uh, full disclosure, I'm a Kansas State grad, JD. I liked hearing you talk about Kansas State a lot, but how, uh, how far up the bull chain do you think they could go if hypothetically, strongly hypothetical, they could, they could run the table? Um, if they run the table, um, <clears throat> I mean, first and foremost, if they run the table, they're going to play in the Sugar Bowl, no matter what. Like, let's just get that one out of the way. As the Big Ten rep, or excuse me, the Big 12 rep, uh, with that championship, they would automatically go to the Sugar Bowl if they don't get to go to the playoff. I think you might need a little bit of chaos to make Kansas State happen up there. I don't think it's impossible by any way. Uh, but I definitely think, at least for Kansas State, if you're going to be playing in a New Year's Six game like that and you only have one loss to what is looking like an even more respectable Tulane by the week, I think easily you're going to be a top 10 team heading into the bowl season. Uh, now, if you have a little bit of chaos, uh, you have a little bit of opportunity that happens in some of the other conferences, you could easily get into a top five ranking. I mean, Baylor, in a very similar manner, I think they finished up at uh, seventh uh, when they ended up winning the uh, Big Ten. Or Wow, I just did it again. Uh, when they won the Big 12 last year and got to play Ole Miss uh, in that uh, Sugar Bowl last year. Uh, we've seen a lot of teams kind of finish out in that five to ten range. Uh, for the uh, Big 12, whenever they have a team that doesn't run the table or it's a non-Oklahoma that ends up winning that conference, and I think Kansas State would probably fall into that kind of similar way if they continue to win. Now, they lose another game or they end up coming back and they end up playing again in a rematch for the Big 12 championship. You can probably see that like lower 8, 9, 10 area, maybe if they've got two losses, but 
I think there's definitely opportunity there for the Wildcats to continually improve and really, really solidify them. And I think an upset over TCU this weekend would really give them some credibility, possibly launch them as high as maybe a 10, 11, or 12 after an upset. Awesome. Thanks. And I got to echo, couldn't love Coach Kleiman as a coach after Coach Snyder any more than possibly anybody else. Thanks. Thank you for joining us. You know, we've got a good timing here. It looks like we've been on for an hour. I don't want to just end it abruptly. A couple of thoughts, you know, as we sort of tie this together. You know, what have been, J.D., serious, what have been some of your favorite moments that might not have hit the news as well? I got to admit, while I... Not a, not something I would support. One of the surprise pieces of news that came out of some of the games this weekend was Fresno State hosted San Jose State. And that's a rivalry game between the two Cal State schools. But in the middle of the game, um, and, and San Jose State, pardon me, Fresno State won the game. But it, after a touchdown late in the second quarter, one of the Fresno State coaches, uh, it was, pardon me, not a coach, it was a staffer, part of the coaching you know, greater coaching team, but not one of the officially designated coaches because the NCAA puts a limit on that. But up in one the press box where the coaches' boxes hit the window so hard it shattered, and glass fell onto the you know the crowd bullet below. So it managed to apparently cause some lacerations on a mother and daughter, which sent them to the hospital. From what we understand, they're okay. You know, the staffer was put immediately on leave, but that was one of the wildest stories I think I've heard. I don't think I've ever heard of a staffer punching the window so hard that it shatters onto the audience below. I mean, more of a reason why wasn't there safety glass? I mean, I assume it was safety glass, but, you know, certainly one of those moments that I'm sure may have been missed because that was a super late game as well. How about you guys? J.D., I know there was one you wanted to mention. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, one of the funniest things that I've seen this year, uh, destructive in a way, but absolutely hilarious as well, was this past weekend, you had a game between Navy and SMU, and that game got delayed for 15 minutes because SMU's live mascot pooped on the field. I think that is probably the funniest thing that has happened all season long of, you know, you have these poor SMU staffers running out with like gloves, picking up this horse poop by hand. Uh, trying to make sure that these players can actually play on the field. And all they did was just run the mascot across the field after, you know, a general celebration. And suddenly this game is delayed for 15 minutes because there's so much horse poop just sprayed all over this field. Hands down, I think that's the funniest thing that's happened this season. Oh, my goodness, yes. That was that was incredible. And and I love that it, for a moment, captured everyone's attention for the for, for you know humorous reasons. I mean, you can't go for that serious. How about yourself? What was your favorite? I mean, I think we have to keep in mind it, it was a pony. It wasn't a it wasn't a horse. It was a pony. So you can just imagine if it had been a full sized horse, uh, the devastation that it could have caused. Um, they were the best part for me was that they were out there with like cups, like two cups, oh, and kind God. of clamshelling it up, and uh, I. I does this not happen off? What if it was right. Ralphie? <laughs> Could you imagine, like the bison, the buffalo over at Colorado? Yeah, because unless Ralphie's on an extremely high fiber diet, um, the the output there is not going to be the same when it comes to cleanup ability uh, compared to to what the pony had. Because um, at least that was relatively, you know, firm and and dry, and they could, you know, use their cups. But nobody had. 
you know, a, a, any kind of like a pooper scooper type situation set up or, you know, when Oklahoma runs the Sooner Schooner out there, I'm pretty sure that their horses have, um, you know, bags behind them to catch in case, you know, anything happens. So it's uh, kind of a – the logistics of it, I think, are more fascinating than anything. Um, but we've had some interesting delays, you know, like the uh, – beyond the Peruna uh, mishap, um, we also had, you know, Ole Miss going into a lightning delay, and everybody's joking that it's going to, you know, delay them – Auburn being able to fire Brian Harson by, you know, another, like, three hours or something. Um, so just some kind of wild ones. I'm going to go with more of a feel-good moment, though. Um, and for me, that's being able to see Quinn Ewers come back and uh, play at a very, very high level after having to leave the Bama game early, um, after a very, very promising start. And, uh, you know, there were so many jokes about, you know, is he going to be like the next uh, Tathan, you know, bounce school to school. And it's nice to see him actually come out. He's uh, got the starting job at Texas. He's made some very good financial decisions for himself. Um <laughs> Fans may not have liked the bouncing around from, you know, back to Ohio State and back to Texas. Um, but, uh, you know, it worked out for him financially. It seems to have been a good place for him. You know, obviously he's going to get uh, a faster opportunity to play than if he was uh, still at Ohio State sitting behind C.J. Stroud. And so far um, he's lived up to the hype, I think. And, uh, you know, it's really fun to see him be able to come back and – Texas actually looks good again, which is kind of fun for the sport, as much fun as the Texas memes are. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of, you know, a little bit on the feel-good side. In a year where we've had so many quarterbacks that seem to be taking that next step up, um, you know, we talked about Hendon Hooker last week and how he's doing the things that, that we wanted to see um, preseason in terms of, you know, throwing downfield and and really looking phenomenal as a passer. Um, on these deeper balls, but then Quinn Ewers uh, coming out and then finally being able to make an impact and being able to recover from injury. For me, that's uh, kind of like my feel-good moment so far. Those are good choices from both of you guys, and I can't believe I forgot about the Peruna incident. That definitely captured the Internet for a moment in a good way. You know, Tuesday night, we always enjoy hearing from you. going to go ahead and slowly start wrapping up right here. We want to thank all of you who joined us. It was a good conversation. Half myself, Bob Akairi, my co-host JD Moore, and Sirius. Thank you for joining us tonight. I'm hang up and listen. <laughs>